just for fun. Tools and their uses, a description of tools and their uses. A wire wheel, you know what a wire wheel is? It cleans paint off bolts and then throws them somewhere under the workbench with the speed of light. <laughs> it also removes the thick fingerprints and hard-earned guitar calluses from fingers in about the time it takes to say, yo. <laughs> Electric hand drill, normally used for spinning pop rivets in their holes until you die of old age. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you never drilled out a pop rivet. A skill saw, a portable cutting tool used to make studs too short. <laughs> Pliers, used to round off bolt heads, sometimes used in the creation of blood blisters. <laughs> a belt sander, an electric sanding tool commonly used to convert minor touch-up jobs into major refinishing jobs. <laughs> Vice grips, generally used after pliers to completely round off bolt heads. <laughs> if nothing else is available, they can also be used to transfer intense welding heat to the palm of your hand. <laughs> Oxyacetylene torch, used almost entirely for lighting various flammable objects in your shop on fire. Also handy for igniting the grease inside the wheel hub you want the bearing race out of. Okay, I'll do one more. Table saw. A large stationary power tool commonly used to launch wood projectiles for <laughs> testing and wall integrity. All right, that's enough. <laughs> If you ever work around tools, you know exactly what we're talking about, and it's like, uh, it's like Murphy's Law, Murphy's Law. All right, we are talking about what authentic Christianity is in our discussion. Let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into this. Father, again, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would... Um, Right now, in the atmosphere of this room, open up our spiritual eyes. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. We are coming to you, Holy Spirit, because we know that you're here. We know that we're surrounded by angels. We want to become more aware of your presence. We trust you to teach us the things that we need to learn that you would help us to understand, comprehend, and then put into place in the grid of our thinking, our thought processes, those things that need to be there so that our default position in so many things and areas of life is properly and truly in, li in line with your word and with the truth of who you are so that we become more like Jesus and so that you produce through us the things that you desire to produce through us. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first week we talked about loving God enough to be contented to say thank you in all things. 
The second week we said to be a discipler or a follower of Jesus, we must go through the process of being rejected, slain, and raised, crucified with Christ, daily denying ourselves and taking up our cross. The third week we talked about the resurrection, which actually happened to be Easter, the resurrection day. Live as though you have died, resurrected, gone to heaven, and come back. We need to live in that reality. Last week we talked about how do we do this. We talked about the Holy Spirit power. We do this by the power of the crucified, risen, glorified Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit by faith. And so that's the process. That's the technical definition of it. And today, we're going to talk, the fifth week, we're going to talk about the supernatural universe and how we need to engage that universe as Christians and, and what it really means to be authentic Christians in, in relations to that. Now, I want to just say this. And please don't let this um, shut your thinking off because it's kind of a philosophical explanation. But our culture is nearly completely given to the concept of the uniformity of natural causes in a closed system. <laughs> you got it? What does that mean? <laughs> uniformity of natural causes in a closed system. Our, our culture has the idea that we live in a closed system. In other words, there are no outside influences that come in that you can't know about. The only way to explain things is by cause and effect. Natural causes... What I can see, what I can touch, what I can taste, what I can feel, what I can observe, what I can experiment with, empirical evidence is the only evidence that's valid, okay? So when it comes to the Christian and we believe in a supernatural universe, we believe in a God who is personal, modern people that are not Christians just reject that view because you can't, you can't know things that are subjective is what modern culture would say. So... That's the predominant thought in our world today. So you, you can't really talk about a God because you can't prove that he exists. And if you can't prove that he exists empirically, then you can't really be sure that what you know or what you think you know, you know, or you don't know, so don't even talk about it. <laughs> okay? So that's, that's what that means. So in other words, their, their whole thought system is that if you, if you want to test the validity of any kind of thing, you put it to an experiment, and you can repeat that experiment over and over again, and every time you do, you get the same results. If I take this much oxygen and this much hydrogen and I combine them, I always get water. And if I have this much of one and this much of the other, I always get that much water. You understand what I'm saying? It's always the same because it's repeatable. So the Christian says, oh, I prayed and God did this. Well, how do you know that your prayer did that? How do you know that it wouldn't have happened apart from prayer? Well, I just know in my spirit. That doesn't count because we can't test that. It's not, it's not verifiably scientifically. Science becomes God, okay? It really has been in a lot of ways in our, in our culture. But our faith stands in opposition to this. The Christian faith stands in opposition to all of that, to that thinking, because we believe in a God who is personal. We believe in a personal, infinite God. What does it mean to be personal? I mean, it means he communicates. He's spoken through his word. He continues to speak to us by his spirit. We can have relationship with him, which is the focus of the scriptures and of our understanding of God. That there's communication, there's back and forth. 
if he's not a personal God, and if he's not infinite, if it's not who we say he is, then the whole idea of loving him enough to be content and to say thank you doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? Saying no to self doesn't fit in with the modern ideas. But for us, there's no other way. Okay, so we're understanding that, that the God that we walk in fellowship with is a supernatural God, and it's in contradiction to the worldview that is predominantly around us. We also recognize that there's really perfect continuity between the natural realm and the supernatural realm. They're, 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 they're a lot more intermingled than we realize. Okay, we're going to talk about that today. Um, the natural and the physical and the spiritual or the natural and the supernatural are all part of the world, the universe that we live in. Matter of fact, I would, I would argue, and I don't know if this is necessarily valid, but the supernatural realm is actually more real than our realm. Um, because the, the, the natural was born out of the supernatural. And that still, it still messes with me. When you, when you think about matter, and you think of it like this, this thing right here, this, this pulp that's made of iron, steel. And when they tell you about the way that elements are, are constructed, um, atoms, and you have protons, neutrons, you have the... the these things that are spinning around really fast, the things that make stuff up. This is mostly space. It's mostly space. It's just that they're mo moving so fast, and there's this, what they call, I don't know if they still call it nuclear glue or if there's a new name for it, that holds all that together. But if you could take the atoms and the protons and everything that makes up this, this and you could just stop it from moving and compact it, it prob you probably couldn't even see it. It would, it would be, it's just not, it's mostly air, okay? So the world that we live in really is kind of, um, it's more not there than it's there. Anyway, we don't need to go there. It's just, it's really wild. It's mind-blowing. But anyway, it has nothing to do, with, not, I wasn't even going to go there. I did. So if you want more about that, just you can do your research on your own. Uh, the redemptive death of Jesus has no meaning if we are in a closed, what I call a closed system, where there's nothing of the supernatural touching us, okay? Redemptive death of Jesus makes no sense. Because if there's a personal God who, who has uh, characteristics of holiness and justice that have to be satisfied, that sin needs to be dealt with, so Jesus went to the cross and paid for our sin on the cross, to purchase us back from bondage of sin, that makes no sense if we're not taking the biblical view, natural, supernatural. My point is that you can't have authentic Christianity if you get rid of the supernatural. Now, you all say, well, I, that's okay. That's okay with me. Yeah, but is it? <laughs> um, and I'll, hopefully I'll make that point a little bit. Um, we are the bride of Christ. We've been joined to Christ who is the groom. So that in our union with the crucified, risen, glorified Christ, he brings fruit through us. 
okay? So in this, in this whole concept that we're talking about, natural, supernatural, physical, spiritual, that I who am in the physical realm have a relationship with someone in the supernatural realm, and there's a union that comes that produces fruit through me. So you see, you can't separate. There are a lot of Christians who try to separate the supernatural from the Christian life, and you can't do it. It's impossible. So there needs to be this fruit that flows through me. If I really am in union with Jesus Christ through faith, his desire is that in our union, my union with him, your union with him, fruit comes forth. My gosh, I had a dream last night. <laughs> oh. Maybe that's what it ha- I'm trying to figure this out. Okay, you want to know what the dream is? This is really goofy. I need to say this? Should I? Oh. It was really quick and, and just like, boom. Uh, probably didn't even last three seconds, but I dreamt I was pregnant. <laughs> That's not a joke. I did the jokes earlier, okay? This is... I was pregnant, and I ha- actually, my stomach was really big. And, and the baby had dropped, and I went to kind of, you know, I was like, oh, my goodness. I tried to lift it up, and all of a sudden, it, there it was on the ground. The baby came out on the ground all wet. And I picked it up, started breathing, that was it. <laughs> so there was something birthed, something birthed. Um, and that's God's desire, is that he brings fruit through us. When people get married, the natural outcome of that relationship, God intended for children, for fruit to come. Our union with Christ, God intends that fruit comes forth, his kind of fruit. Which is really amazing when you think about it. But we talked about that a little bit last week with, with Mary, how the angel came to Mary and said, you are going to bring forth the son. Um, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Find yourself pregnant and give birth. Okay. Um, many Christians sadly feel an emptiness in their walk, an emptiness, um, like no purpose in their, in their relationship with Jesus. And you know what, that, what that's primarily a result of? following rules without relationship, not really giving place to the supernatural in their lives so that Christ can produce fruit through them, okay? So they feel um, empty. And really, I believe it's probably the Holy Spirit tapping him on the shoulder, tapping him on the shoulder. Don't you realize what your inheritance is? Don't you realize what God wants to do through you? He wants to produce through you abundant fruit in this world, and the reason that so many Christians adopt that is because they begin to be influenced by the naturalistic view of the world around them. Now, now we don't always realize how much we are influenced by the worldview of the people that we rub shoulders with all the time. And so we can begin to think in a more naturalistic way. Not really... Co- giving God his proper place in our thinking and in our practice. And we lose, we lose what God wants to do in and through us. And so when we tend to, to not live in the comprehension and in the practice of the supernatural influence in our lives, God's influence in our lives, we, we begin to 
go through motions, and then our Christianity really becomes just psychology and sociology. What do I mean by that? It means that uh, we just have a good system and we've got it all figured out. It's what I tried to do many years ago. I thought, if I can just get all the principles right in the Bible, I'll be set. You know, if I just line them all up and if I have a problem, I'll know where to get the answer, pull it out, plug it in, and away I go. And so I wanted, I wanted my Christianity to work that way. A lot of people try to get their Christianity to work that way. They want all the answers, and they want to be able to plug them in. And it doesn't work that way because we're in relationship with a personal, infinite God who leads us. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us into all truth. So that if the Holy Spirit wants to pull out a scripture and give it to us, he can. But if he wants to pull something from out of left field, he can do that too. Because we're in a relationship with the supernatural I know it freaks some people out. I think supernatural, do 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 you're getting kind of weird. But the truth of it is, that's what Christianity is. They say, well, that's mystical. It is, but it's true mysticism. It's true mysticism. It's not phony mysticism. It's not made of, it's not demonic mysticism. It's, it's really what the Bible teaches. So anyway, let me explain it this way. I've used this before. I want you to think of a room... Here, there's a room here, it's a big room, and there's another room over here, and there's a chair in each room, okay? And the rooms are nearly identical. In this room, the man who sits in this chair in this room is an unbeliever. And so he looks at the, the four walls in his room, the ceiling and floor, there's no window, there's no door, it's just this room. And he says, everything that I know about the universe is in this room I can measure it, I can touch it, I can taste it, I can feel it, I can experience everything here, but I can't know anything outside this room because I can't measure that. I can't do the tests on it. So over in this room, over here is another chair, and the believer sits in this chair, and in this room, it's, it's completely identical to that one, but it has a window, and it looks out into the supernatural. So the Christian sits in this chair, everything is the same, I can do all the same tests and experiments that the person over there can, except I have a window that looks out into the supernatural. And so my experience includes not only the physical, but the supernatural. Okay? Two rooms. All right? The chair over here is what we'll call the chair of faith. The chair over here that the unbeliever sits in, we're going to call that the chair of unfaith. Okay? Unfaith. Just for something to call it. And so this guy looks at the universe, he looks at his world, and he only accepts the knowledge as... He only accepts truth as far as he can test it and experience it in that closed system. The person of faith sits in this chair and says... No, there's a lot more to reality than just what's in this room. There's a whole other reality out the window. This person says, no, we can only rely on empirical evidence. And the Christian says, no, there's subjective experience that's valid. My relationship with God, it's a spiritual thing. Modern man rejects that, but this is what the Bible teaches, okay? Got it? It's not enough for us as Christians to acknowledge that that's the right room. It's not enough for us to acknowledge that there's two parts to the universe, the natural and the supernatural. 
Why is that? We are supposed to live in practice every day that the supernatural exists. What does that mean? That means that I can, as a Christian, do all kinds of religious things. I can even witness. I can help the poor. I can do all kinds of Christian things in my own strength, in my own power. And be sitting in that chair over there. How do I do that? I can be in the chair of unfaith because I'm doing it in my, in my own strength, with my own power, my own strength, not really acknowledging or walking in, relying on the crucified, risen, glorified Christ producing fruit through me. It happens all the time in the church. Well, it happens a lot more than it should. Why do we do that? Because our walk with the Lord has to be a day-by-day, moment-by-moment acknowledgement of his presence in our lives and asking him, depending on him, relying on him to work through us, to accomplish his purposes through us. And it's not me running ahead of him. It's not me doing, trying to figure out what I think is best. But it's acknowledging him. The other, the other issue is that if I'm over, if, if as a Christian I'm sitting in the chair of unfaith, think about it this way. The things that I'm doing, if they're in my flesh, I don't have the right weapons to impact the supernatural realm. Matter of fact, my fleshly power has no effect on the supernatural realm. Told you the story last week about the couple that called me about the stuff, weird stuff that was going on in their, in their apartment. And because I know who is in me, we dealt with the demonic that was affecting their house. But it wasn't because of me. It was because of Jesus, the crucified, risen, glorified Lord. And I understand and recognize that he's the only one that could deal with it. So he dealt with it. I helped them to work through the process. But I understand that any, any talents or gifts that I have are powerless against the enemy, have no impact in the supernatural realm. The only way anything works is if I'm... If I'm purposely, purposely, intentionally sitting in the chair of faith saying, Jesus, work through me, work through me, work through me. I am dependent on you, that consciousness that I'm dependent on him, and he's producing fruit through me. Now, I have supernatural weapons. Now, I can affect the supernatural universe. Now, I can deal with the issues that need, need to be dealt with because I'm sitting in the chair of faith, because I'm recognizing where the power comes from. So there's a couple things that are true in all of this. First of all, the real battle, the real battle is in the heavenlies, isn't it? See, I can get very engaged. I can get very engaged in life here and now, trying to make a difference for the kingdom of God in my own power, in my own strength, doing things my way. I can look I can look or appear to be very, very godly or Christian-like. 
right? We're talking about authentic Christianity, not pretend Christianity, not, not, uh, I just saw a quote by Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said, it's not the things that you don't know that can hurt you. It's the things that you're sure of that just ain't so. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to expend my energy as a follower of Jesus in a way that has no impact. Real impact. Real impact. I... There's a desire by people to kind of dismiss the supernatural, Christians to dismiss the supernatural or even the spiritual battle or the spiritual struggle or the spiritual, um, uh, the spiritual reality of what we're dealing with. Real battle is in the heavenlies, so we have to use heavenly weapons. This. The next point is that the heavenlies are not far off. The supernatural realm is not far off. And when the question then becomes, well, how, how close is it? How close is it? In Luke chapter 24, verse 31, Jesus had, was just raised from the dead, and there were two disciples that were walking from, they're walking to Emmaus. They just left Makunji, and they're on the way to Emmaus. I'm sorry, they were left Jerusalem and they were on their way to Emmaus and Jesus walked with them and spoke with them. <clears throat> and they got to the house and then it says this, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. <coughs> Excuse me, I knew the cough was going to be loud and I needed to move the mic and I didn't do it quickly enough. Um, that's an okay translation but it doesn't quite give us what what we need to understand here. Luke never says, never wrote in, in the original writings that Jesus left. Okay, so I went to Young's literal translation. If I want to know literally what they wrote, I would go to Young's literal, literal translation, and this is what Young's literal says. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he became unseen by them. That's a little different, isn't it? He didn't take off and go somewhere. He stayed right there. It's just they couldn't see him anymore. What does that tell us? The unseen world is all around us. It's not far off. It's right here. Somehow it's intertwined. So what, is that? what does that mean? <laughs> uh, it, 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 it means that we're surrounded by angels. Right now, it means that we're surrounded by angels. It can, it can also mean this, that there could be demons not far away either. Because that's the nature of the supernatural universe.
John chapter 20, verse 19, it says this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. All of a sudden, Jesus appears to the disciples, to ten of them. Thomas wasn't there. Judas was gone. Appeared to the ten of them. He just all of a sudden appeared. And so we talked about the fact, I mean, you've probably heard people talk about the, the fact that Jesus' new body could go through walls, could walk through doors. Well, I don't know how things move around in the supernatural realm, but it's possible that Jesus was there before they ever got there. And he was just waiting to open their eyes. You understand what I'm saying? There can be all kinds, see, there can be all kinds of things around us that God wants to do or be involved in, but we just can't see it. We just can't see it because our eyes aren't open to it. And if we're never open to the possibility of God doing things, we'll never try to connect with him in a way to release what he wants to do. Do you hear what I'm saying? You understand how we can, we can go through our days wanting to be a Christian, wanting to serve the Lord, but we're sitting in the wrong chair. We're in the chair of unfaith because we're not expecting anything beyond what our eyes see. Okay? A little later in John chapter 20, verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst, and he said, peace to you. So here he does it again. He just, he just, there he is. Why? Because the supernatural, the heavenlies are not very far away, right here. And really, it's the teaching of scripture. We can go back to Genesis, to the story of Jacob. Jacob left Laban. He had two wives. He had a bunch of kids. He had flocks and goats and herds and all kinds of things. And he's moving. He's running away from Laban, his father-in-law. And he goes to sleep, and he sees verse, this Genesis 32, verses 1 and 2. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Manam. That word manam means two camps or two hosts. So there was a recognition on Jacob's part. Here's, here I am with all of my family and animals. Like uh, old McDonald had a farm. I sing that with my granddaughters and it's just on my head. Sorry. <laughs> Every time we get in the car, Lisa, sing a song. So we go through all the songs, and one of them is Old MacDonald, so that's just on my mind. So here's Jacob, and he has all of his stuff, and then he sees this other host, and he says, my goodness, this is, this is the Lord's army, two camps, two camps, natural, supernatural. So there's, there's that whole imagery, even in the Old Testament, that the supernatural is very near. It's not far off. The best one, the best, the coolest one. This is like awesome. I love this one. First Kings chapter 16. Elisha was the prophet, and there was a king who was a, an enemy to Israel, and, and he kept raiding Israel and picking on them, and he kept fighting them. And so Elisha would either have dreams or visions or, or things from the Lord to know what the king was going to do before he did it. 
And so he would go to the king of Israel and say, listen, they're about to do this. And so they could counteract it and counteract it. And so finally, the, the foreign king says, all right, one of my advisors has to be a traitor. Which one of you is telling the king of Israel where I'm going? He said, well, it's none of us. It's that prophet, Elisha. He knows everything that you do. And he tells the king. So the king says, I got an idea. I'm going to go kill Elisha. So he takes his army and he goes to kill Elisha. And he surrounds the city and surrounds Elisha. And Elisha's there with his servant. And his servant says, what are we going to do now? They're going to wipe us out. And so Elisha says this, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You've heard that verse before? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. (laughs) Oh, man, would I love to see that? Wouldn't you love to see that? All around Elisha, all around him, chariots, angels and chariots of fire, all around him, all around him. Do you understand why it's important for us to live consciously in practice in the chair of faith, believing that what is going on has an impact in the supernatural realm and that God wants to bring forth fruit through us, fruit through us by our union with the crucified, risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to do that. And if we, and if we don't, Live consciously that way. It's not going to happen. Do you understand that you need to cooperate with him? Do you understand that there... You know what? I, you, I'm preaching to me too. And I don't often preach. Usually I just teach. But right, that felt like preaching. <laughs> do you feel, do you sense the creep of the naturalistic view like ho-hum, just another day. It's never just another day. It never is. It never should be. Who is the God that we serve? What is his kingdom like? How far off are the heavenlies? Right there. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 says this, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Do you know what that word spectacle means? It's not what it means today. It's the idea of theater on display, being observed. What's Paul saying? Everything we're doing is being watched. God's watching you. Angels are watching you every day. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Where are you going? What are you going to do? Are you, are you walking with the consciousness that the risen, glorified Christ wants to produce fruit through you right where you are, whatever that may be? It can never be in our flesh. It has to be by the power of the Spirit, by faith. By faith. We're being watched. We're being observed. Right now, 
Right now, there are chariots of fire and angels all around us watching us. <laughs> and some of them are going to follow you home today. First Timothy 5.21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Paul was saying to Timothy, not only does God see you, I mean, that's huge, but there are angels all around watching too. Why is that? Because angels like entertainment, and that's their form of TV or video or internet. Oh, hey, hey, look what's happening on channel 627. Look at this guy over. <laughs> hey, go to this website. Look at this guy's doing. Hey, check out this Periscope account. I'm trying to be relevant, okay? <laughs> All right, I'll give up. Authentic Christianity cannot, cannot, it's not authentic if it denies the supernatural. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. I've been, sadly, I've been with pastors sitting at a table talking about our churches and different things and, and something's brought up about something supernatural and so we can't go by that. You have to go by the Bible. Well, yeah, you go by the Bible, but I go by my relationship with the Father through Jesus. I don't discount those things. I don't add, if God speaks to me, I don't add it to Scripture. You can look at my Bible. I didn't add Scripture to it. Anybody, you ever add Scripture to your Bible because the Lord spoke to you? Like, I'm, on, I'm already on the fourth book of Kent. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the chapters are long. Their mine are longer than the longest chapter in Psalms. It's 178 verses. So there are people that are taught, they're actually taught Christian things, but denying the supernatural power of God and its influence in their lives. You can't do that. But it's not enough just to understand that. It's not enough just to recognize that. It's not enough to say, yeah, that's, yeah, you guys, you, you guys are missing out. I need to live every day, moment by moment, in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so he can produce his fruit through me. And I do it by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it needs to be a conscious thing that I do all the time. And so sometimes when we, and I'm done, uh, sometimes when we have our services, and sometimes when I pray, and we all pray, and I don't know that it's necessarily a wrong prayer, because God knows what we mean, but we say, Holy Spirit, come, manifest your presence. He's already here. We just need to, we need to be, our, our eyes open, but there is, a, there is an intensity that can come to the presence of the Lord, and that's usually what we're asking for, just a greater intensity of his, of his presence and power. 
released. And that's what we want here in this place. That's what we want for every one of us. You know, I don't, I, it's not just that I want our services to be like just so full of the Spirit's power. I do. I want that, man. I want more. I want more. I, you know, I want to experience His presence. But I want our folks, all of you, to take that same presence with you everywhere you go. I want us all to walk in that all the time. And the truth of the matter is, you know, some people will say, well, you're just going to get goofy then. I don't think you can ever be more real as a human being than when you're walking in the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit working Amen. through you. You will never be more what you were created to be than when you're walking in the reality of that. Because all you have to do, if you want to know what that's like, if you really want to know what that's like to walk, <laughs> okay? Did I say I was going to stop? <laughs> this is my second ending. If you want to know what it looks like for someone to live moment by moment, day by day, moment by moment, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in right relationship with the Father, look at Jesus. Was he some weirdo? Was he out of touch? Was he goofy? There was never anyone that was more worthy of not only praise but emulation, of copycatting. Man, that's how we do.